Hi, and welcome to Sunday School, the podcast where you listen in on live lectures from metaphysical experts and extra credit in-depth conversations with interesting and inspiring modern mystics. My name is Kirsten Hedges, and I'm a producer here at Sunday School. I am so excited to introduce this next segment, the first in our new limited extra credit series. I got the chance to virtually sit down with Kelly Knight, the CEO, founder, and fearless female leader of Modern Mystic Shop. It was an illuminating experience, and I feel really lucky to have had the opportunity to get to know Kelly in this way and have this conversation with her. She is a notorious Scorpio to her core, so it is a truly rare occurrence to get to learn so much about Kelly's interior world. In this episode, she shares a lot about her childhood, her awakening, her struggles, and most importantly, her mission that she works to realize every day of making Mystic mainstream. I hope you all enjoyed listening in on this chat as much as I enjoyed having it, but mostly I hope that you all walk away feeling empowered and excited about the modern and mystical world we all get the chance to create and be a part of. Enjoy. Well, Kelly, thank you so much for sitting down with me today and being here. This is so exciting, something so fun and new for Sunday School and for the audience. So thank you for being here. Yeah, thanks for doing it. Yeah, super excited to ask you some questions today, uh, get a little bit more in depth, um, get to know you in a different way. It's so exciting. The Scorpio in (laughs) me is like, do I really want anyone to know anything? ever (laughs) maybe I can ask you questions so watch me evade you well my Sagittarius sun and Mercury are equipped for this conversation so (laughs) oh yeah you're so equipped you're a great conversationalist and like I do have this I don't know why I'm getting into the astrology of it but I have this like Sag rising so you get the whole Sag like I do come across I think as more outgoing and maybe friendly Etc. Cetera, Etc. Cetera, then I feel on the inside. <laughs> <laughs> well, God bless the Sag rising. So then you know. <laughs> just, Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Otherwise, I would probably come off as a complete bitch. So it's good. <laughs> well, has that been something you've always felt uh, moving through the world? You know, it's a. I think I want to start with sort of your early years, like little baby Kelly. Was yeah. she always evasive? Yeah. You know, what was your life like when you were a kid? I've been thinking about this because um, as we've been interviewing people for this podcast, I've been asking that question. And the sad truth is I don't have a lot of memories from childhood, and which is frustrating and also like very telling of maybe not the best experience. Um, I do like I remember and I can't tell if it's due to personality or circumstance, just being alone a lot. So my mom was a single mom and she worked during the day and she was um, selling Amway. Do you guys know what that is? Like, yeah. Oh, Amway is like it, it's like this, um, you know, like network marketing pyramid stuff before like beauty counter. <laughs> It was like the OG. So she was like hustling. By the way, also, my mom and I were born on the same day. We share a birthday. So she was also uh, an 11-5 Scorpio. And I just, I think I was alone a lot. And so I can't tell if like the circumstances made me more internal and reflective and um, all of those things or like the nature versus nurture or if it's you know, as I learn more about my astrology and my natal chart, it all makes sense too. Um, but like, 
Yeah, I was like solo and I was like really responsible. You can probably, you know me, but I, I, I would get up in the morning and I remember just like the night before I would set out like the cereal I was going to eat and like this little pitcher for the milk. So I didn't want to just pour the milk into my cereal. I'd have like a little pitcher that I would set my little breakfast up and then pour the milk into my cereal. But I was getting I had to get ready for school a lot by myself because my mom would already like go to work and someone would come pick me up. So I was definitely a loner um, and I was definitely particular um, and I definitely I, I, I read a lot. Um, when I think about my childhood, two of my favorite places were actually at my dad's house where I made my bedroom closet into basically like a reading room where I would like put pillows and stuff and I would be like sitting under my clothes reading books with flashlights and he had a tree uh, in his backyard and I would like climb up in the tree and read books. So I did a lot of like reading and drawing and like solo, I guess the solo activities of an only child who was left alone a lot <laughs> in yeah. the 80s. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah. I think it's not uncommon to hear a lot of people who are in the spiritual realm have childhoods of this sort of creative escapism, you know, like wanting to travel to other worlds, whether it's, you know, making another world in your closet or jumping into a book. Um, so I think that's beautiful. Um, I'm I'm odd that way that I think that's like the coolest childhood you could have. <laughs> Yeah, and I would write too. Like I w- went through my stuff, and at my and I think I had it better off at my dad's house when I would visit because I have more memories there, and I have like more stuff. And I was going through things before, and I found like these little books I would make. So I would write, and I would t- I would actually I would type. Like I had like a little typewriter, so I have these books where it's like words typed and then like illustrations. And then I also remember like, and this is kind of indicative of me now, which is interesting. Like. I have a hard time imagining things from scratch. Um, and so I'm, I'm the type of person that like collects things and like like um, images and, and kind of use that to infuse whatever we create. And I think it went way back when I was a kid. I remember having these Disney movies. I loved Disney movies. And I would have these um, movie covers of like, you know, The Little Mermaid. And then I would recreate it myself. But instead of just drawing in my mind like what The Little Mermaid was, I would try to like replicate the movie cover, which is interesting because I still like when I work with our designer and stuff for our brand, sometimes I just see it right away. But sometimes I don't. And it, that's always been like a hard thing for me to communicate or like see. I have con- I don't know. Anyway, so I was like a little loner, little loner. I love kid. that, you know, and it's uh, a large part of what you do now, especially with your tarot reading is working with static archetypal inner um, images and so oh, that's yeah. interesting i almost that's see your interesting your idea. disney movies as like your original tarot cards or something <laughs> oh my god that's so interesting and like you know you know how i work like so solitary these days too like like working a collaboration works for me but like um I do my best work alone and I enjoy that and the escapism and just like getting super focused at one thing and just like knocking it out. Yeah, And I have to ask, what was your favorite Disney movie as a kid? Oh my gosh. It depends on like what era I feel like. I feel like every time a new one was released, it was my favorite. I was super into Mary Poppins, which wasn't even particularly animated, but I loved Mary Poppins. I mean, all of them. Probably the soundtrack from The Little Mermaid was like my favorite. Um, 
Beauty and the Beast, Aladdin. I was just like a Disney kid. That was, I mean, there wasn't even as much then, though. I'm 37. I almost said 36. I feel like, you know, you had like your one motion picture release every like year or twice a year. And that's what everybody yeah. watched. So whatever those were. That's awesome. And Mary Poppins, that is so fitting, too. I think that's the most magical <laughs> Disney movie that there is. That's true. Yeah. And I was a nanny. Like, I actually was a nanny for a few years, which was, which is, you know, I don't know if I took my cues from Mary Poppins, but I, I, I have that lived experience. Yes, that's awesome. And what about if your teachers could use one word to describe you? What would it be? Oh, my gosh. Talking. Yeah. So I, yeah. So I think, I don't know if that was just because I was so alone you know, in my off time that when I was in school, I always got bad conduct marks, like failing grades in conduct. And then I also, um, my mom got called into school a lot because you're not going to be surprised because I was always thought I was smarter than the teacher. And so I would correct the teacher whenever something wasn't right or wasn't true. And they perceived that to be very argumentative. <laughs> and so I, it was not good for me. I was not the the ideal student. I was really challenging. And um, yeah, I didn't have a respect for authority. Um, I think also because I was raised by my mom and I was around adults a lot that they did not seem any different to me than kids. And so I'm like, what? Well, just because she's in the front of the room, if she's saying something that's not right, I'm like, excuse me, miss. Uh, I think you meant to say. I'm sure they loved it. That's awesome. I was the same way. The only time I got in trouble was for like being defiant to authority and my teachers. And how did your parents respond to that? Did they, because my parents co-signed my behavior. You know, they were at the principal's office. They were like, she can do no wrong. Um, How did your parents respond? Were they like trying to quell you or? I'm trying to remember. I don't think my dad knew because like my mom, like the, because they were separated. So my parents were separated since I was two. And so it was very, like, I didn't even see them in the same room together, probably till my high school graduation. Like, that's how separate they wow. were. So I feel like dad, my dad didn't, my mom didn't share a lot of, like, the the troublesome stuff with him. Like, he wasn't in the day-to-day. So I don't know what he would say. He'd probably co-sign. <laughs> but I don't remember. I think my mom was just more annoyed that we kept on having these conversations. Yeah, she's like, I got stuff <laughs> you know? to sell. I got things to do. Yeah. I got to sell people laundry detergent and like work for the airlines. So if you could just like simmer down so I don't have to have these stupid meetings, that would be great. And where was all of this taking place? I'm trying to put you, I always assume um, everyone around me is a Southerner just because I was born and raised in the South. Oh. But where were you yeah. as a kid? Where were you living? New Jersey. I lived in New Jersey until from birth until nine. And I was right outside of New York City. So it was sort of like we were like the bridge and tunnel people. Um, And I had like the thickest Jersey accent as a kid. And it was hilarious. I've watched movies of myself in like school plays. I was in I was Mrs. Claus in my. Okay, this is me. (laughs) This is so fitting. I was the star of the first grade's play, first graders play as a kindergartner. (laughs) (laughs) And I I was Mrs. Claus. And I guess no one else wanted to have that role. And I have a video of myself saying, sorry, Santa. (laughs) Um, I I was there. I was there until I was nine. 
And then um, we moved to Atlanta because um, my mom worked for Pan Am, which is a very old airline that you only see in history books. <laughs> and um, they went out of business and Delta recruited all of their team members. And so she had the opportunity to move to Atlanta for her career. And that's how we ended up here. But we had no family. Everyone, for the most part, but ev- everyone was in New York, New Jersey, like Brooklyn, Newark, like my whole family lived in that in that area. That's crazy. That's a wild shift um, to move from Jersey to the South. Yeah, especially in the '90s. I feel like it's interesting because like my uh, numerology is a nine, and every nine years from the age of nine, I've had like massive upheaval and massive change. Um, and yeah, it was. I we <laughs> when I was a kid, I don't know. Maybe that the time is wrong, but I used to always relate to my cousin Vinny that movie. <laughs> I was like, that's so me. (laughs) (laughs) And so you moved when you were nine? Yeah, we moved here when I was nine. Oh, wow. Yeah. And this, that's not the first time I've heard you mention the whole nine cycles. Yeah. Things moving in nines. That's very fascinating. I'm sure there were lots of differences moving from Jersey to Atlanta. Um, But one of them that I'm really aware of is the uh, religion and spirituality aspect that you would have shifted from. Um, what was your sort of religious affiliation when you were in Jersey and what did that look like moving it to Atlanta? It was the same because I went to Catholic school from kindergarten through high school. So I, that was really the baseline. And up north, it's super common to be Catholic. Uh, when I moved here, I was in a Catholic school, so I was surrounded by other Catholic people. But then I started to realize that it was a little odd because most people here are Protestant you know, based religion. And I, I will say that the weirdest things I was, I was cool with being Catholic. Like I thought it was really neat. Like I loved the candles, the incense, the church, the sitting, the standing. I mean, as much as you could as a kid, you know, we'd have to go to church as part of school every week. Um, and we didn't go to church on Sundays, but I got a lot of religion through my just school upbringing. Um, but I do remember being challenged when I would meet Southerners, like Southern kids to say, um, if you're Catholic, you're not Christian. They're like, we're Christian and you're Catholic and Catholics aren't Christian. And I was, of course, always a star, like a defender. And I was like, Catholics were the first Christians. Like, what are you talking about? <laughs> you're, you know what I mean? And because that's how I was taught. You know, it's like, you know, Christianity stemmed from Catholicism and then people broke off from that. I was like, we're the true Christians. And so, <laughs> uh, you know, that was that was interesting. Like, because um, I didn't know anyone that wasn't Catholic or Jewish, basically, growing up. Yeah, and then you came down here and met all these Baptists, and you were like, what yeah. is happening? Well, actually, my ba- my nanny, I had like a babysitter, not a nanny, a babysitter. She had like a little home daycare. She was Prode- um, she was Pentecostal, which oh, yeah. was so interesting to me. Um, and I would go with her sometimes on Wednesday nights, if that's her church time, if my mom had to work late. And they would, I mean, they were, blah, 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 you know, speaking in, t- not to mock them, but literally like speaking in tongues. And like, so I was exposed to that. And it, it wasn't like scary, but it was definitely different than Catholicism. And um, the, you know, it were very regimented in how things are done in, in a Catholic's, you know, mass. Oh, yeah. Pentecostal, there's no rules. Oh, it's, uh, it is next level. 
Yeah, Wednesday night is lit. You just eat yeah. and screaming and and-, <laughs> and you feel the spirit. It's like the Holy yes. Spirit. Yes. <laughs> so I think it's it's really I mean, I thought it was pretty cool. Um but Yeah, because yeah, you was- love spirit connection. <laughs> yeah. Like, Ooh, I'm feeling it. <laughs> and so I mean, so religion and spirituality for you was prevalent and you seem to have identified with that and had a really um, sort of symbiotic and holistic relationship with it. Um, as you began to get older, what was it like to develop that relationship with your spirituality and maybe branching into other modalities or yeah. just integrating it into different parts of your life? I kept the Catholicism angle through college, actually. So I was even, um, I was a cross-country and track athlete in college. So that took up a lot of my time. Um, but I also went to church. Like I found like the college church and I went, not every Sunday, but I still identified as Catholics. I do remember like having these for cross-country, like we would have to drive all over to the SEC different schools. And there were a lot of like super Christians on my team and no other, no one other Catholic, his name was Shavaz, and he did not come from the South. He was like a recruited in from the North. <laughs> so there's like one Catholic and we would get in like these debates about, you know, the differences between Catholicism and Christianity. And like they, they would have their like Bible groups within our cross country team and track teams and stuff. Um, so I carried that with me through college. And then when I graduated, I mean, I have to give him credit. I, I had this boyfriend that was like non, he's probably atheist or just agnostic at the least. And he just started asking me like, why do you believe this stuff? And because I was very good at like reciting what I had learned. And those were my beliefs because I hadn't taken the time to think about anything other than what I've, I've learned. And I love a good debate. So I was like, it kept me like entrenched into like what I was the more people were telling me I wasn't a Christian, the more I was like, fuck yeah, I am. Yeah. <laughs> so it was like, um, and that's when I really just started to question not just my religious beliefs, but all of my beliefs. It's like, why do I believe any of this stuff? Like, why do I believe that I had to go to college or pick this career track or have these kinds of friends or relationships? And um he sort of opened my mind, not to tell me what to think or to think differently, but just to make sure that what I believe really is what I believe and not just something that I've ingested. And it turns out that like most of it, I didn't actually believe. And by clinging to these belief systems and these programs across the board, I was like very much on paper, a successful young woman in my, I graduated college when I was 21 and I like was making six figures right out of the gate. And I had all of the trappings of like, this is, what you're supposed to be doing, but I was so miserable and empty. So it was like that reality with this new influence in my life to start just questioning basically everything. And what career did you go into as soon as you left college? I went into um, media. So I graduated from UGA with a dual degree, uh, one in advertising, which was out of the School of Journalism, and then sociology, because I do love to study people and mass actions like why do these groups of people do these sort of things um and that works really great for marketing which is like my what I kind of went into because it's like okay how do you motivate groups of people to take action and so that's where I was I was working um in media buying and then I quickly moved into radio Ah, it was my dream job I got to 
for the people that are my age that are Atlanta-based folks, they'll know 99X and The Morning X with Barnes, Leslie, and Jimmy. And I was a super fan in high school of that radio station, and I loved music and alt-rock. And somehow, and I really don't know how, but I got a job there uh, doing ad sales, and I was such a fan. I was such a fan of that radio station, and this is when... Back in the day when they were doing these massive concerts with like 50,000 people with like Weezer and garbage and cake. And um, I was like in the heyday of that. I got to work there and I learned everything. I feel like I learned my whole career was based on what I learned in those few years doing ad sales for that radio station. And um, I was a standout man and the old folks hated me because I was like this 22 year old person bringing in new business trying to create new ways to sell things and they just wanted to do the old thing like pushing the paper around and they would always oh I was so hated because they would, the managers would always use me as an example look what this proposal that Kelly did and she got this new client and it has you know like at that time it was revolutionary to have like online and then like these in-person events and then da, 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 and um so like I was really hated, but I loved that job and I still have friends from that time. So what made you move away from that? It seems like you were in this space of, you know, you were in this career that you really enjoyed, maybe not the career, but the job itself mm-hmm. um, in a space where you're beginning to question what you believe and sort of what what makes up you. Um, yeah. What, what pushed you in another direction? Did you have a moment or a an event that that changed everything yeah so so I can't I mean the career shift didn't really happen for me fully until probably like what are we in now probably like 20 like six years ago so maybe 2014 but meanwhile I was doing a lot of my inner work and personal development because I did not see at that time and I never hated my job or the work I was doing. You know what I mean? Like I was always autonomous. I got to create fun things. I, I always had found myself in these positions where it was fun. And I started doing consulting. Um, eventually, I was just working for myself and consulting small businesses. Oh, actually, businesses of all sides, sizes um, with marketing. But because that didn't feel like the issue to me so much. It was like the rest of my life, the fact that I had like probably a cold depression and I just would work all week and then I would lock myself in my house for the whole weekend just to kind of like decompress and reemerge. And so um, I met this person who I was sharing these things with. It's like, okay, I'm successful and I should be happy, but I'm not. And she referred me to this place in Atlanta that I will not name it because I don't want people to go there now because it's not the same place that it was before, but it's where I met Brandon. And we did, um, I did about five years of like really intense work. So we would do things like gestalt therapy. We learned like Buddhist studies. I learned my healing modality there. I learned tarot there. And the whole premise was to, it's sort of like a psycho-spiritual boot camp to where you can sort of unwind some of these programmings and identities so that you can get more in touch with your essence, really, and like the core of who you are and make decisions in a life from that place. And when during, I mean, I had like crisis moments, um, dark nights of the soul kind of situations during that time. Um, You know, at that time, I chose to discontinue speaking to my mom. Um, 
And I thought that that was going to be like a temporary thing. I remember talking to her before I went into my first course because I was really triggered by her because I realized that the life I built was the life that my mom wanted me to have. And I was so intertwined with her that I couldn't discern what I wanted versus what she wanted. Like we were so fused and so merged. Going back to the fact that, you know, like we even shared a birthday, right? So it's like I was very much like, engulfed by her and I had never individuated and I couldn't I did not know how to connect with my own inner voice because her voice was my inner voice and it was so strong that I felt like I needed to create that distance to even hear myself and I thought it would be just like for a couple of months but now I mean it's probably been 10 years you know I'd never felt the call to really reconnect with her um But it was during that time that I got super clear and like learned all of these tools. And then I did. I had like a crazy psychic awakening, which I've shared before, but um, where we were in like this massive Brendan was there, but we didn't like each other then. Um, (laughs) We really did not like each other. For anyone Um, listening who doesn't know, Brandon (laughs) is her now husband and business partner. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Brandon's my husband. Uh, We did not like each other then, but... um, we were in this like massive um so we were in this class this course that lasted two years and it was like an advanced course through this you know program and I was living in New York at the time but I was flying back and forth every three months to do this work and one of the activities we were doing was like you basically sat in this circle with this meditation and it was really like a hypnosis that lasted we probably I would say probably 14 hours. Like it was long, long, long. And each time we switched over, someone was the recipient of the meditation or the healing or the hypnosis. I still don't know what it was. And also during that time, I had this massive cyst on my wrist and I was uh, about to get it surgically removed. That's just like a sidebar that will be relevant after this conversation. So I had the cyst on my wrist. I'm sitting there and I'm the recipient of this meditation and... I don't know exactly what was happening, but it probably lasted like 45 minutes or so. And when I was done, we got up to take a break. And I remember rubbing my wrist because I was used to touching it. You know, you have something like in your mouth sometimes you keep touching it. And it was completely gone. Like this massive like golf ball size cyst was completely gone. And I had this what I thought was I I still think was like like a healing just instantly from whatever we were doing. And that was crazy. And then we go back in the room again and then someone else is the recipient. And I started just like tripping out, like with my eyes closed, I just felt like this energy came in and like literally opened the flaps of my skull and like got into my brain and was going zip, 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 like working. The sounds I was hearing was like if someone was working under the hood of a car. And I was like, whoa, I wasn't scared. I was just like, I'm really tripping out with this hypnosis. <laughs> like, I, just, I was like, this is really interesting. And it was like, zip, zip, zip. I'm like, I wonder what's going on up there. It's probably hour 12 of the day, you know? Yeah. And then it just like left and I didn't really think anything of it. And then when we came back from that weekend, I started hearing, seeing and sensing like so much. Like it was, a, it was a complete freak out overload. I was hearing voices. I was seeing like in my third eye like that kind of sight like and angels what they said there were angels I was it was 
it was so overwhelming. I was feeling energy like as if I was standing under a waterfall. And this was happening like every day. And like suddenly, like I'd be in the shower and I would like just start hearing voices to say, speak, speak, speak. And I remember one time I just started to talk and I was now I know like trance channeling, um, which I had never even heard of before. Like I didn't know Abraham Hicks or anything like that. Um, And it was crazy. I mean, it was really crazy. And I thought it was possible that I was having a psychotic break. Honestly. Yeah, I was going to say, how did you deal yeah. with that? Um, so luckily, so that happened and it really took off when I moved back from New York to Atlanta. So at this point, so maybe I did like Brandon when we were in that circle because he was definitely part of this support. I was staying with a friend. I moved back to Atlanta and I was staying with a friend and she was a psychic. And so I opened up to her and then... I still like didn't know like all the angel stuff was very confusing to me. And so I said a prayer and I said, if this shit's real and I'm not crazy, I need a teacher and I need to know what the fuck is happening. And Brandon and I went to this restaurant that has since closed called um, Cafe Jonah and the Magical Attic in Atlanta. Do you remember that place? Did you ever hear yeah. of it? It was a, it was by Super Jenny, the lady Jenny Levinson. It was yeah. like a Super Jenny on the bottom and then basically psychic readings on top in like a, a <laughs> mystical bookstore. That sounds like a great Some, afternoon. <laughs> yeah, it was. It was just like in the wrong place. I feel like Buckhead back then wasn't quite ready for no. like the psychics. Um, but we went to brunch there and I saw this card and it said um, angel reading. It was like uh, our angel circle, like next Monday or whatever. I was like, what the fuck is an angel circle? It's like, well, I need to go because I'm seeing angels. And there were two angels in particular that were very strong. It was Archangel Metatron. And I had never even heard of that name before. So I really thought that was like interesting. And then it was um, Archangel Gabriel, which funnily enough, uh, was my confirmation name. So I named myself. Um, in Catholicism, I shortened it to Brielle, but it was Archangel Gabriel that I chose as my like patron saint. And sure enough, like that's the first angel that I meet when I have the psychic awakening. And then Metatron, which I thought was like some sort of transformer. I did not know. <laughs> I had to Google what like I like, think I, I think I Googled like what is a Metatron? You know, I had <laughs> no idea. So then Brandon and I go to this angel circle and it's Joanne Cohen who is turned out to be like one of my friends and mentors and she's been a reader at the store and I walk in and I am a mess I get there late I'm like speeding I was stuck in traffic I was so disheveled something had happened and we sit down and she just looks right at me and she was like you I need I have a message for you it was like wasn't even time for messages it was just like and she said have you ever heard of Archangel Metatron and Gabriel, she said their names to me. And I was like, uh, yeah. And she's like, they're standing behind you and this is their message. And that was the validation that I needed to realize that I wasn't crazy. She, I didn't tell her anything and she named those two names. And then we had the whole angel circle and she gave everyone their lovely messages. And then afterwards she asked me to stay behind and she was like, what's going on with you? Cause she's like a channel and she can see. And I told her, And I told her about the trans channeling and the this and the that. And she just started working with me for free. She's like, she saw I needed help. I didn't have a lot of money at the time because I had just moved back from New York and didn't have a job. 
and I would go over to her condo and she would have me channel for her. She would teach me like about boundaries and this and that. Um, and it got me more comfortable in like resourcing myself and learning about all that. That's amazing. But it was nuts. It was a crazy time. That's but amazing. But then here's, here's the deal. Here's why I left that place. That place where Brandon and I was, was where we, we were working. When I started getting very psychic, um, I started trusting myself and I was knowing that there was weird shit going on and they were kind of gaslighting me. So I'd say, this doesn't feel right. Or this, I would say things to them and they'd be like, no, what's wrong with you? Why do you want blah, blah, blah. So when I came and I had these psychic awakenings and I was able to read tarot in a different way and do all of these things, I was super proud. And I thought that this is what we were working for. Like we were working towards having that kind of alignment to like be so intuitively guided and then they flipped it around on me to say, like, why do you have to make yourself special? The late main lady, like, this person is the only one that has these kind of abilities. They were saying that I was trying to be, like, challenging and all of this stuff. And so for a time, I quit all of it. Like, I cut it all off because they said, if you're going to come here, you can't channel. You can't talk to angels. You have to, like, shut all that stuff down. And I didn't want to be excluded from that community. So I did all of that. And I tried my best to, like not go into those states and then I felt so hollow and like once you get a taste of that you cannot cut it off and so I wound up leaving and I was just like this is bullshit I trust myself I don't trust you guys anymore this is manipulation you know and I literally um because I was like living with someone um who worked there for a time and uh I'm kind of maybe meshing timelines but I left and Brandon picked me up literally out of front in the middle of the night. I snuck off. I snuck away and I never went back. Um, so for those people listening, it's like, man, if you have a gift and like anyone's telling you to substitute their judgment for your own, fuck that person, leave. And, and, you know, even like with this Corona stuff that's going on, I hate saying the word and I shouldn't have said it and I haven't been, but with this virus, I have to get really clear with my intuition about what is happening because the information out there on both sides and in between like doesn't feel right. And so even with stuff like that, I've got to like disengage and get clear. It's like, okay, what is my intuition and compass saying about this? And that's the authority, no matter what, hands down. Yeah. And, you know, that's what I sort of wanted to ask you about, um, just briefly, you know, yeah. we work in a field, this spiritual realm where unfortunately manipulation is really prevalent, um, yeah. spiritual bypassing and gaslighting. Um, can you talk a little bit about how that's informed the spaces you created um, at Modern Mystic, how you, you know, keep that in mind or do things yeah. differently? Yeah, I mean, we've got so many different perspectives from how we run our business, which is like internally and customer facing, you know, and externally, I would say, um, that, and this is actually, so I coming up, you're going to hear an interview with Nate Yetsky that I did for this podcast. And he shared this with me. So, so it's, it's a good validation of what I tried to create and how it's received. But we try to create a place where we don't have the answers. We're just giving you ample opportunities for experiences so that you can figure out what works for you and what doesn't. And he was saying how he was scared of tarot. He's got a whole, the podcast is going to be so great. That interview in a couple weeks, you'll hear it. 
but he was saying, I came up to him and just said, um, you know, what are you curious about? Just try it. And, you know, with tarot, just try it. And if you don't like it, put it down. Like, I'm not trying to tell you tarot's the way. And he said that was a switch for him to say, oh, okay, I can just dabble. I can just try things. I can define this for myself. So I will say, you know, one thing we try to do, like I said, is give people the opportunity to have experiences and judge for themselves. We try to train our team not to actually be so definitive in our recommendations all the time and to allow people to explore. So if someone comes in to say like, what crystal do I need for this? Sure, we can give them the education, but it's really most important, like have a trip around the store, see what you're attracted to and guide yourself. So we're really on a mission to help people empower their own intuition and and use these tools to sort of navigate their life and the reality and to for, move forward in the way that they want to. Um, and I think also what we do a great job at, and it's partially like, cause I hold the brand in the, in my aura is like, I don't take this shit so seriously. I will say like that five or six years that I was at that organization, I was in my trauma all the time. And I was constantly evaluating everything and studying everything. And I think there's a time for that when you have like massive healing to do. But also it's like, it's not all so serious. Like I feel like people over-spiritualize things a lot of the time. And and I just, I'm trying to, I don't want to be that way. And I think that there's a balance. And I think that we're creating an environment for modern mysticism, which means in the Kundalini tradition, we say you're householders. We are not monks in a mountain. We are people that have families and jobs and responsibilities and relationships. So how can you maintain a 3D existence in an integrated way where your spirituality is guiding that life and those choices. Um, I get so, my pet, I have so many pet peeves, but one of them is like this over-spiritualizing of fucking everything in this new age, in this new age, quote unquote, time. Um, I'm trying to think of what other things that we do to try to, you know, not gaslight people. Oh, I would say too, like I'm such a huge proponent for personal responsibility. So instead of like some of these teachings that you see with like, well, like with like empaths and stuff, I've heard people, you know, not take responsibility for their personal energy and just be like, oh, these are energy vampires or um, this person's toxic or whatever. It's like, where that where's the power in that place for you nothing you're just a victim of someone else's environment and circumstances so we try to teach people to take personal responsibility and that also goes with reading so if like you get a reading with someone if you're handing over 100% of your discernment to this person and then you take what they say and make choices that's on you if they're saying something that doesn't resonate and you substitute it that's on you. And we try to train our, you know, we have great readers and they're very ethical. And I don't think we get in a lot of those situations. But for people that are getting readings outside of our organization, it's very important that you don't just spoon feed yourself what other people are telling you if it doesn't feel true, you know? Absolutely. Yeah, that's what I was going to say is um, sort of one other piece that I see a difference in your stories is you came from this background of receiving these really potent gifts and then having you know this figure tell you like no I'm the only person who does that here right Mm -hmm. and instead you know at modern mystic you foster you know we have a whole team and a whole space where it's like 
you know, we want you to springboard from this. We want you to develop your gifts and give to the community. Um, So that's a stark contrast that I see. Yeah, thank you. That's a good point. And that's the thing. We're here to like, everyone has their own gifts. And here's what my prayer. My prayer is that we are all so awake that everyone is psychic. Like everyone is so in tune with their intuition that it's not special. Like it is not special. Like this is what it's like, I think, to to be an integrated, connected human being. It's like part of the human experience is that we all have access to this and it shows up in different ways. And I think there's different, maybe varying degrees of, of, of this, but that's the thing. And that's another peeve that I have. Like, and I, I shut it down quick with my clients where they're like, well, I just had the psychic awakening and da, 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 da. And yes. And cool. Everyone's going to in a few years, everybody's going to have one, you know, everyone that's meant to that's in our community, you know what I mean? So it's like, and I'm not saying it to cut someone down, but I'm just saying it to normalize it, you know, to like, no, that's when like, that's good. Like, this is like, this is what we're going for. Great news. I hope your neighbors wake up tomorrow. You know, like, <laughs> like that's kind of the goal. Yeah. And I think the the key piece to, to reaching that goal is the empowerment that you're speaking about, you know? Um, I also agree that everyone has the ability to be empathic, to be psychic. To me, I see it as this big scale, you know, that you just move Mm -hmm. across. Um, And so you're right, you know, personal responsibility, but also personal empowerment, I think, are the keys to moving across that. So um, thank you for speaking on that. Uh, I'm also curious about what it was like when you left this one organization and it mm-hmm. seems like you had Joanne, who I've also received a reading from her. She knew things that there was no way for her to know. Mm-hmm. In fact, like future projections around mm-hmm. my father um, that were just wow. like, you know, chilling, you know. Yeah. Um, so you, it seems like you left this one organization. You found Joanne. What was your entry like into the rest of the Atlanta metaphysical community um, after you left that organization? You know, because yeah. you've, you've moved to a space now where, you know, I am not afraid to say that Modern Mystic holds a large space for our spiritual community here in Atlanta. Mm-hmm. Um, what was it like when you started carving out those spaces for yourselves? How were you received? It was really hard at first because I was basically in a cult and I had moved away. And um, so I kind of broke some connections with my friends here. Um, and I was like transforming at such a rate where a lot of my old friends no longer fit, including like I ended a relationship of six years and I moved to New York. So I really, when I moved to New York, I was having a fresh start, but I still had this people, this organization where I was traveling back and forth. Then when I came back, not long after I came back is when I wound up leaving that organization. And so I had no one, you know, I had like no friends, basically. I had Brandon and like one other friend who was known in the spiritual community here and like that was about it and so for a while it was really heartbreaking because you know Brandon and I got engaged and we were getting married and we were inviting these people from the cult basically and they wouldn't even respond you know to and these were our best friends who who saw us through a lot of these times because they were so it's basically you're with us or you're against us and that was that um so there was a period that was really hard and there was also a period where I was like 
I'm never going to have a teacher again. I cannot trust anyone but myself. Like I went all the way to the other side where it's like only I know. And I know I'm preaching kind of both things because, yes, only, you know, and you can have teachers that will help illuminate and guide and group work that will help facilitate your transformation. But I was like, fuck this. I'm on this side. And then I also had some like very negative spiritual experiences on my own because I was dabbling in weird shit like alien stuff and getting some sort of weird attachments and stuff that I knew nothing about because I was so gifted. It was so easy for me to kind of go in and out of dimensions and worlds. But like I did not have the proper training to do that in a responsible way. So there was like that whole thing (laughs) over there. Um, As I started... I'm trying to remember how I did it. You know, I think it was through tarot. You know, I've started creating like a small group of friends that were into this sort of stuff. And while I was still doing some marketing consulting and that was my main gig. And then, you know, the Wild Unknown Tarot blew it wide open for me. Um, There was something about Kim's artwork that really, really resonated and took my reading to another level. And because I didn't know a lot of people in the Atlanta community, really, that's why I started the Modern Mystic Tarot Instagram page, because I didn't know tarot readers or I didn't know people here that were into it. And it was a way for me to connect to people with that similar interest globally. And so then I started to make some friends like, I know it sounds creepy, but like online friends. Now it's more normal. I don't know, but like Instagram friends of other tarot readers and people that were into it. And I started giving readings um, just for practice. I do one card polls if you followed me and you sent me a DM and I was doing like those sorts of readings. And then our um, my Instagram following just started really taking off like into the thousands and like it got to like. I don't know. It's kind of leveled off now because I don't use it that much, but it got it grew to like ten or fifteen thousand pretty quickly. And people started asking me, like, um, you know, do you do this professionally? Do you have a website where I can book? And I was like, oh, I guess I should get a website. I guess you should start doing this. And I think I sort of found my way by actually meeting people through readings and locally. And I would have people come to my loft um, at first, like through referrals. And that's where I was working at from home. And I think that kind of got me into like who was out there locally. Uh, And I started meeting some more healers and I was taking some intuition building classes mainly to meet other people. (laughs) It's like, well, I guess these people would be into it. So I think like um, Janet Raftis had a class several years ago and um. I started doing my healing work. So I think Janet, like when she had the heart space, I was using that space sometimes to do healing work for folks. It just kind of grew that way, but mainly through my tarot readings, I think. And then I started getting more and more popular. Like the, um, the word of mouth got so big that I didn't, it was strangers that were booking with me. And so I didn't want them in my home anymore because that felt weird. It was one thing. It was like a friend of a friend, but like Joe Schmo's like signing up for a reading um, and I think, yeah, I think I like grew in this community as like a practitioner more than like, so, cause I don't even have like a lot of socially in this city, like healer, spiritual friends. Um, does that, yeah, I don't know. Does that answer your question? So then that started growing. Sure. Yeah. Then I moved to a loft space in Grant Park and I was only there for six months before we found the space for the store. And that was in 2016. Um, but that I moved to a, like more of a commercial thing. I worked in another loft on top of, um, a hair salon and I had one little tiny, that triangle shelf in our store. I had that, that built for me and 
um, by Paul Bazin, Narendra Bazin, people know Narendra Bazin's husband. And I had like a couple of rocks on there that people would buy, a couple of tarot decks. And I was like, people want more of this. Like they, I need a place to send these clients because no shade to like the other places, but my clients look like me. You know, they're young, they're, um, you know, they're not going to feel as comfortable going into some of the other establishments in Atlanta. So we needed, I was like, this is a need. We need to get this type of space open here eventually. I didn't know it would be so fast. It was like a eventually kind of thing. And I was right. You were very right. And, you know, you just, you said something a few minutes ago that I want to revisit because I think it's really relevant as to why this space is so successful. And it is the heart of it is in its approachability and its um, safety. You know, Mm. it feels like a really safe space to go to um, because the experience that you were talking about of having this huge psychic awakening, things changing so much, and then dabbling in this way where you began to have, you know, even negative experiences. I will say from working in the store, like, that is where we meet a lot of people. Do you know mm. what I mean? At that place in their journey where they're like, you know, I just was having fun and playing around with astral projection and <laughs> I saw some shit and like pick some shit up and, uh, you know, I, I don't know what to do. I'm really afraid. Um, yeah. So I'm curious if you could speak to those people because to be honest, you know, I've been in that space, move in and out of that space. Mm-hmm. Um, and since you've been there, you know that, you know, these are the people reaching out and listening to podcasts and trying yeah, to get some more sure. information. Um, if you could speak to that portion of your journey, because it feels mm-hmm. like when you were able to move through that, that's when things were able to really pivot and skyrocket for you. Yeah. So, I mean, and this is where the limitations of our business model, because I really would like to have more. We're not we're in a mall, right? I would like to have more service based Um, opportunities for people because that's what really saved me. So what happened was, so there was Joanne and she taught me a lot about, you know, like grounding and protection and all this stuff with whatever it is that we're doing. Luckily, I had been certified in my healing modality that really helped me to clear, clean. I learned how to clear and clean myself in a very systematic way that was very safe. So in the modality I use, you you use mudras and body testing to open and close. So I was familiar. So I started actually using those opening and closings for my sessions in my own meditation and channeling so that I felt like, okay, I'm opening, I'm closing. But what really helped me the most was, so one of my teachers at that place, she's a, oh, you might know her. Oh, she, she's a Native American woman. She left that place before I did. And she was very helpful with people sort of transitioning from basically the cult into real life. She's incre- she's a, you know, she's a therapist by trade and she's a very uh, gifted, intuitive woman and, and all that. So she taught me, so this is what I had to do. I'm not saying this is what everyone had to do, but I went from being like so wide open and I didn't know how to modulate it. And I still, I've got, I found the balance, but she took me through this exercise where I shut everything down. So I went from totally open to shutting everything down on purpose so that I could reopen parts of it. And so I did this thing with her and I don't even fully remember what it was, but I feel like I was looking in a mirror and she told me to say these things with like such authority is kind of like, fuck no, like back off kind of vibes. Um, 
And that's what shut everything down. And then I started reopening it with tarot because that felt safe to me. That was like a system. So I'm learning about myself is that maybe it's my Catholic upbringing. I got hero fan vibes. Like I love structure and systems when it comes to my spiritual practices. I do kundalini yoga. I do ritual magic. I read tarot and I have a very systematic healing modality. That's a container that makes me feel safe. And so even when I do like, I'm a psychic medium, so even when I do any sort of mediumship work, when that pops in and out, it's through the cards because it gives me the safe container. So for most of the time, I don't need them. I really don't need the cards, but there's something about the structure that helps me feel safe. So I would say for me, and I don't know if this is for everyone, but if you can find a structure that feels safe for you... Um, And, you know, I'm all about like dabbling and trying things, but I'm also equally parts of like the tried and true practices that and systems that have been developed some of these for thousands of years to avoid some of these pitfalls and to actually become a student of of certain modalities. Um, But, you know, I don't know for sure what's happening now. We're like in a new era. Energy is moving so fast. People are born like more psychic and more awake than ever. So I don't, I'm kind of like this hybrid. I'm in this gap period between the old school and the new school. So, I, you know, I think you got to kind of find what works for you. Um, but for me, like, for example, I don't see spirits everywhere. I was like deceased people, but that's my boundary. And I through like my own practice, I'm like, Okay, spirit, like I do not want to see everyone's dead people. I don't want to go to I don't go to cemeteries to try to like stir shit up like not for me. But like if you came to see me and your dad was hanging around like cool because you're an acquaintance. I treat spirits like I treat people. You wouldn't invite a stranger into your home. So I would not invite a stranger spirit into my psychic awareness. So some people might think that I'm not as psychic as so and so, but it's like, no, I'm, I'm really psychic, but I have very clear boundaries because I don't make that my whole work and life experience. What I realized was I went so far into the astral that I was disassociated from my physical reality. And I decided, oh, wait, I signed up for this. Like, I'll probably be a spirit or in the astral, you know, whenever I die, <laughs> or maybe there's a part of myself that's like, you know, simultaneous lives. But for here... I decided like I want to I want to have command over these abilities. I want to use it to have a more aligned human experience. And so those boundaries are what works for me so that I can have both things. Thank you so much for speaking on that. I think it's just so relevant, you know, and I think a lot of the times we talk around subjects like that in the spiritual realm, you know, we're high vibes only love and light. But the times when I've learned the most is when I've been outside of that. So thank you uh, for speaking on that. And I just want to reiterate what you said that, you know, we are here to be here, you know. Um, And, you know, I was even I was talking to Brandon yesterday and uh, he was saying, you know, I feel like uh, this group of the modern mystics were we're we're living a dharma together, you know, and I think that that's a large portion of it that. Yes, we all know that we can project into the astral and stay in space. Um, But what about this movement of staying connected to something larger, but being fully present in the physical world and in our bodies? 
Um, I feel like that's, you know, a lot of what we ask modern mystics to do. It's like you said, we're not Buddha on the Mount, you know, we are modern mystic in the middle of Pond City Market. uh, And that's, that's a different thing. Um, Totally. So thank you for speaking on that. I will just, one more thing to add about that is like, I've never been happier than when both are working in harmony. You know what I'm saying? When I was too far out, I was scared. I wasn't grounded. I felt out of control. I felt like, you know, anything could sneak up on me at any time, any spirit or whatever. And then when I was like too disconnected from it and then I was felt empty and soulless and that I was just going through the motions. And so I believe, first of all, I don't believe that happiness is really the goal for humanity per se, because people are like, are you happy? But I think I have found like a contentment in being able to hold both of those and at the same time, like I've been most fulfilled when I'm in that place. Just to throw that out there, just like my little speech for like integration. <laughs> yes, that's the movement. That's the movement. And that leads right into the next thing I wanted to ask you about. Yeah. You know, you are this highly psychic individual. You're a female entrepreneur, a highly successful business owner. How do you find and keep a balance, sort of the same balance that you're talking about between the ethereal and the physical, how do you find balance in in your life? You know, work life, all of those things. I do not have work-life balance. Not going (laughs) to pretend. I'm not going to glamorize. I'm not even sure that that's a real thing. I'm not sure. I'm not sure. So we'll get someone else on the podcast to interview that's mastered that. Because I do feel like when you're on like a dharmic path and you're on a path of... um, purpose where you feel like you know you're you're doing something important to me I always feel this pressure of time like like this shit has to move now like we need to transform now we need to help and educate as many people as we can now because I don't know what next year or next month is even going to be like so I do constantly live in this creation state of our business and it's like the primary thing that takes over And I don't, for the most part, I don't mind it. Like when I can do my spiritual, the way I keep balance is trying my best to keep on my spiritual practice, my kundalini yoga, my meditation, doing my women's work. I prioritize those things. Um, But I don't have like a balance between like social life and work or family. I I just don't, you know, whatever. That's just me. (laughs) That's just me. And, and, you know, like, I because I get a lot of fuel out of creation and like what we're doing. I, I don't mind it for the most part. Um, there was something else I was going to say about that. You were asked, what was that? Sorry, I'm like lost my track. So anyway, I'm not your life work balance guru. Um, but I th- will say that I've done enough work to where the spiritual and the physical are very integrated. So I don't have to, I don't, there was a time where I'd have to like, okay, I'm going to be intuitive now and I'm going to meditate and I'm going to make these decisions and pull these cards and then I'm going to go to work and be like this type of person. Now it is very much infused and I'm so happy because it takes a lot less energy just to be like one kind of way. So I'll be here like on my computer working, click, 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 sending emails. I have a question about something. I grab my tarot cards. They're always next to my desk. Boom, boom, boom. Okay, here's how this is going to go. And then I go back to finishing the email. So it's like very fluid. It's not compartmentalized at all. And I consider my spiritual practice a business meeting with myself. 
And so I try my best. I haven't been as good in quarantine, oddly, when I have more time. But I think it's like everything's the same space that you use for, for it all. But that's kind of how I roll. Um, now, if I was working for someone else, maybe I would feel differently about the life-work balance. Or if I was working for an organization where I didn't feel aligned with the Dharma, you know, and like it didn't feel like we were doing something purposeful, then then in those cases, I feel like just like get your work done so that you can have the life you want. But I've been fortunate enough to create a life that I want with my work life. Yeah. And the work that you want. Um, yeah. Yeah. That's what that's what gets blurry, but maybe in a really good way, you know, when work and life are pretty much the same thing, you know, because it's what you're doing is so fulfilling and so beautiful. Um, what about just quickly, what's your favorite thing about what you get to do for work? Mm. I don't, I think it's like has to do something with creation and creating. Like I'm always creating something. Um, so whatever that looks like, I've got a lot of fulfillment out of that, whether it's like creating new products or creating, you know, like a system with you guys of, I don't know, like that creation energy. And that's also been an observation from my, my partner is that like when I'm not creating, I'm cranky, you know, like I'm not my best self. (laughs) So there's got to be something there more broadly, just like the, yeah, the creation piece where like I'm making things or I've created something that actually does get seen and used in the way that I intended, it's kind of crazy, you know? It's like, because I have these ideas and then when they become real and then people buy them and use them and they have, they get the change that I'm designed for, like, that's pretty incredible, actually. So I think it's that, like, creating things that are doing what I hope that they would do. And even with the store, like it's definitely creating that it's in the brand is like doing what we intended it to do. That's really bonkers and crazy fulfilling for me. <laughs> yeah. In my mind, I see um, just an image of our, the candle, um, specifically the clearing candle. Mm-hmm. Um, just, you know, how you made this thing and people resonate with it so much and get so much from it. Mm-hmm. Um there's something really cool about that. Something really cool about that. It is. And to be someone like, okay, this is like my only child syndrome. But like I always want to be, I've always wanted to be someone's favorite. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know. It's like, I want to be your, even my husband. I'm like, am I your favorite person? Like, I still ask him that. <laughs> so there's also like this personality part of me that's like, when someone says that we're their favorite store or their favorite we have their favorite candle or their favorite, like we're their, like people feel so strongly, like we're their favorite. That's a big thing. I don't have a lot of favorites. Um, that's also really fulfilling for me, like probably from a personality level. <laughs> it's like validating for me, like, oh, we're, we're the, we're the favorite. Um, but yeah. <laughs> I was going to say that could be a, a whole class. Um, your last uh, tarot talk that you gave at the store, which is another podcast. If listeners want to go back and check it out, um, you touched on a little bit the way that you view the ego really differently than mm. modern spiritual society. That could be a whole class in and of itself um, that we should probably do coming up because yeah, I yeah. love your idea that, you know, if you want to speak on that for just a second about the role the ego plays. Um, yeah, it's instead of it being like this troublemaker thing that needs to be tamed that a lot of practices sort of, oh, it's your ego. It's not your 
intuition or your higher self, it's your ego. It's like, let's befriend this thing and let's use it and bring it on board to help us create and, and manifest our desires in this human experience. So befriend it. And so these, these desires and these personality traits actually help you. So like my, let's just dissect myself armchair expert wise, like my <laughs> desire to be liked and to be someone's favorite has also driven me to create like highly integrous and impactful products that will earn that title for people. And maybe if I didn't care so much about being someone's favorite, maybe I wouldn't care so much about what we're putting out in the world. Who knows? Could be. Not sure. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Yeah. You sound like my therapist right now. She's like, but look at, you know, what, what that's <laughs> brought you and how that, you know, makes you who you are. Yeah. Uh, I think that's a beautiful um, integrated way to view the self as opposed to lobbing off and chopping off parts of our personalities. Um, yeah. Just a few more questions in closing. Yeah, tell me. Um, what does it mean? What does modern mysticism mean to you? Do you obviously identify with that um, as you've made a whole brand and physical store yeah. around it? Well, people um, ask me if I am the modern. They, people used to ask me, are you the modern mystic? When they would come in when we were at our um, at Paris on Ponce, they would be like, they didn't know my name. They'd be like, are you the modern mystic? I'm like, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> So, yeah, to me, modern mysticism is exactly what we've been talking about. It's like this integrated way of living where you have this harmony between your spiritual self and your physical manifestations and what you create in this world and that you can use your intuition to guide you um, in, I mean, in Kundalini, I talk about that a lot because it's the lineage I've been practicing, but they talk about like your executive mind and then there's like this intuitive space. So it's like that that fusion and that merger between mind, body and spirit that you can actually be aligned in in how you create your world from a, a centered place. That's beautiful. That's beautiful. Um, and speaking to all those modern mystics out there, because I think we've grown from Paris on Ponce, where there was the modern mystic to <laughs> where we are now, where you're basically, um, you know, creating an army of modern mystics yeah you know? that's awesome um, what's one piece of advice or one thing that you would say to all of those modern mystics out there listening just sort of from your heart to theirs I would say that it doesn't have to look any sort of way like your brand of mysticism or spirituality or whatever that expression is for you there's no right or wrong way to do it and there's no one kind of way it has to look so I would just encourage you to have acceptance around like what resonates for you what piques your interest and to have as many experiences as you can that's to we preach that over and over it's like experience the crystals or experience the ritual so that you know in your body like what's what's right for you and what's not I would say yeah, that's a great piece of advice. That's wonderful. Um, and how can people out there listening find you, um, support <laughs> you? We are everywhere. Okay, <laughs> let's let's roll down. So I'm going to make all my bold asks. Number one, especially at this time, if you would buy something from ModernMysticShop.com, if you've been a listener and you've been on the fence, we could really use your support right now. You know, we have closed our physical doors. We're going to be opening in a limited capacity. And now more than ever, if you have it to spare, we would really appreciate your support by, you know, buying a product from us would be really helpful. 
Otherwise, please follow us. Please share. You know, if you don't if you don't have the money right now, which I totally understand, we're all in different places. If you could just share our podcast or if you could share our website or a blog post or something that's been helpful or meaningful for you, um, that would be really amazing. And then lastly, um, we have a book coming out that's available for pre-order. So Brandon and I co-wrote a book called Spells for the Modern Mystic. And if you could look it up on Amazon or Barnes and Noble, it'll be out on September 29th. We're not yet selling them on our website, but it's really important to pre-order from those sources because it helps us make some bestseller lists. And it's a book and a kit. So you'll get um, 25 spells and you'll get um, candles and oils and incense and everything you need to do these rituals. And these spells are contained in the box or you'll have them in your home. So tinfoil, salt, just things that you have lying around the house. It is this is probably the biggest thing that we've tried to do is to spread this idea of modern mysticism and ritual magic in a really approachable mainstream way. But the teachings in this book and the rituals in this book are so powerful and so ancient. Like Brandon has really dug up some really old world spirits and um, sigils and all of this stuff that we're kind of they've been hidden and we're not sure why. And so we're not sure of how the polarity is going to come up when you start to reveal and make accessible these things that were once only permitted to be used by certain people at certain times, you know, so we're lifting the veil and we're putting it all in this book for you guys. So purchasing that spells for the modern mystic uh, would be so, so helpful for us in getting this more mainstream mission out there. Yes. And the book is beautiful. Um, It's like I told Kelly um, when she sent it to me, I immediately started reading it and I wept the whole time. Mm. Um, which, if you know me, is not a crazy thing for and me to be crying us. about something. Yeah. You've got that uh, special connection, too, with us. So It's just the energy that, that came off of it. You know, like, um, I saw such a clear manifestation of both your and Brandon's magic. Yeah. Um, but it also, like, touched something really primordial within me and, mm. like, my highest self and spirit that was just elated and relieved to be, you know seeing these things and so yeah it's it's a moving book um the writing is beautiful the spells are legit um and so I'm so excited I can't wait for that to come out so if you're interested in learning about ritual work if you have been on the fence or if you've been doing it for years like this book is is just gonna take everything to another level and put you in a different place um I can't wait. I'm so excited. (laughs) I can't either. And to echo what you said, you know, Guru Jagat interviewed me last week and she asked, you know, what's the thing I'm most proud of, of all the things that we've created? And I said this book and it was for that very reason. Modern Mystic was sort of my ideation and I started implementing it about a year before Brandon came on board. And so it's always been, he's been supportive, but it's sort of been my thing. And then he comes in and supports it. This is the first thing that we've really made where it's like this 50-50 partnership. And if either one of us didn't pour ourselves into it, it wouldn't have come to be. And it's just to me like the most beautiful expression of our partnership, you know, that we did that together. So I'm glad that you you know us personally so you can see it. And I, that's what makes it most special to me. It's like a gift that we gave to each other, you know, in, in working together. 
a true co-creation yeah. it's beautiful yeah it really and then we've got all the spirits that are helping us out so this thing's gonna sell because we've got so many spirits that are helping us with this book we so many that we literally put them in the thank you in the back because yes. they need to be recognized <laughs> yes i love that awesome so yeah uh buy spells for the modern mystic make yes. a purchase from modernmysticshop.com there's some great stuff on there um, and then, you know, support our physical store when it reopens as it feels safe, I think, for people. Yeah. Um, and yeah, like you said, there are lots of free and easy ways to support the business as well. Follow us on Instagram, like or comment, uh, rate and review this podcast if you yeah. enjoy it. <laughs> all Subscribe. of it. Just do yes. all of it, please. We can use yes. your support. <laughs> yes, uh, of course. Well, thank you so much, Kelly. This was such a great You're conversation. Welcome. Thanks for doing it. Yes, thank you so much. Uh, Thanks everyone for listening. I hope you have a blessed day and you got something from this conversation. This episode was produced by Kirsten Hedges and produced and edited by Georgie Harris. For more information, visit us at modernmysticshop.com and click on Sunday School. 